Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction it is not Monday, but it is like a Monday. Yesterday was obviously Memorial Day. Uh, and so we're going to treat it like a Monday. And that means we're going to start our show with, a, I'm sure, very tired, yet very happy, triumphant UL head baseball coach, Matt Deggs. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm great, Kev. How are you guys doing? We're, 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 we're doing well. So, you know, you've... Been in college baseball a long time, and you've been through some some grueling stretches, and um, the the mental toughness that your team showed all through the second half, you know, the last month of the season, and and in Montgomery over the weekend was impressive. I, I, I'm sure you're a proud coach today. I sure am. You know, it's uh, these kids have a strong backbone. We have tremendous leadership, and you don't. You're not able to pull off what they did uh, without, you know, high, high amounts of character and uh, mental tenacity and fortitude. And, and they were just raised right. And, and uh, they come from a lot of tough places and, you know, they just won't give in. And uh, since about April 23rd, 24th, we've been fighting uphill, man. And that's not a very advantageous position to be in. And, uh, you know, finally yesterday, the redeeming part was we're back on a level playing field. Everybody's O and O and, and uh, everybody's got the same opportunity to wind up in Omaha. All right. I'm going to beat this to death. And, and I just, it's just, you know, from a worry concern standpoint. So on paper, you're in a level level playing field, but Texas played their final series of the year at home. And then went zero and two in Arlington in the big 12 tournament, you played your final series against a really good team on the road and, and a tough series as it was, and then went to Montgomery and played six games. So it's a little different, I would think, in terms of where the two teams are physically and even mentally going into this region. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's, uh, you know, when I say a level playing field, we're not chasing RPI points anymore. Right. And, uh, you know, you're not in, uh, you know, situations where, uh, you know, you're looking up all the time and, and you're having to watch the scoreboard and, and this and that. It's, uh, you know, you're exactly right about they, they've had some rest and, and we haven't. Uh, you know, just for about the last month, we've been on the road and we played a just a really good, hard-fought series at Southern Miss. We literally drove all the way back here. We were home for a day and then turned around six-hour drive back to Montgomery and made the absolute most out of that place. Our, our goal every time we're in a tournament is to be the last team in the hotel. And, uh, you know, we utilized all seven days there. And, and uh, it, it's what we play, like six games. And I think we've played more games than anybody in the country because we never had a rain out or anything this year. And so we're – 62 games and and uh our kids love to play but you're exactly right there's a there's an emotional and and physical toll on you and and uh this is a tough game and so 
I don't know. You know, we'll see where we're at. We'll do something light today and, and tomorrow and get out to Miami and, and uh, have good practice. But we'll, we'll see where we're at mentally and physically. You know, you wouldn't know any of what you just said by looking at Julian Brock. He This is the guy who caught all six of those games, and yet he's the one with the biggest smile on his face, the most optimism. Oh, no problem. We're going to – we'll be fine. I mean, he's he's incredible. He's been that way since he was a freshman, Kevin, and and that's why I think he'll play in the big leagues because I was just having this talk with him yesterday. And wherever he goes, they're going to love him. And – they're, they're, they're never going to get rid of him because he plays a premium position and he can hit. It'll just be a matter of him outlasting people, and, and he's just built that way. And you could tell he was he was drained. Uh, you know, I got him thrown out on a ball that he scored on a few times this year, and, and uh, you know, it's affecting his bat speed a little bit. And uh, But he'll never say a word. I'll ask him, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And... Uh, he knows his job is to host the party. That's it. And uh, he does a great job of that. There was an at-bat. I don't remember exactly which one, but it was in the second game against Coastal Saturday night, and and it was kind of late in the game. And you know he was just totally exhausted, and he kept falling off pitches. And you could just see it in his face, and we were laughing almost because it was like he was like, let's just get this at-bat with. <laughs> like, he had to just be <laughs> exhausted. Like, enough with these foul balls, you know. But – he, yeah, uh, he, he gave it everything he had. All right, so, you know, our old Milo, Astro X announcer, used to always yeah. say he has two words to describe baseball you never know. And a month ago, we're all talking about pitching and pitching and pitching. And, again, it just goes into why the whole you never know. Here we are in the conference tournament, and it's pitching that gets you to a region. That's why you just keep working and, you know, you, you just keep showing up and, and you stay day to day. You're, you know, you're only as good as you are today. Yesterday don't matter. Tomorrow's not promised. You know, you have a chance to be great today. And for a lot of those kids, and I'm with you, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like that. Usually if you struggle on the mound, that's just what it is. And, but, you know, you take a guy like Blake Marshall, there's a, he's got a world of potential. And, uh, you know, potential can be a four-letter word sometimes, though. And he just kept working. He never quit. Kept showing up, and and uh, the right opportunity found him, and he was ready for it. And then same thing with JT Etheridge. Uh, huge potential, huge upside. Had been hurt last year, and uh, you know he just kept working. And uh, the right opportunity came up, and uh, he looked like a big league closer out there. And I, you know, I say the same for Nezu and and Fluno and. Cooper and, and uh, you know, a lot of these guys that have have really, you know, Stephen Cash has got some big outs here lately. Absolutely. I was going to go to him, uh, but next. But getting back to Fluno, is it, what you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't gone deep enough to know how many left-handed hitters you're about to face in this regional, but his, you know, they scored some runs and hit some home runs against him. Is that uh, was that just more of a? They have some really good lefties, and he doesn't match up as well against lefties, or or what? No, I think he's going to match up great against lefties. Uh, you know, he's had some struggles, but uh, he now has a pitch in the split to to knock him off the fastball. The breaking ball's a downer. Uh, 
you know, when he refines fastball command and, and can locate a little bit better, I think he's going to have big success against lefties. I think part of the issue is Southern Miss is really good. And uh, sometimes you got to tip your cap to your opponent. And, and uh, you know, they've got some older veteran hitters that know what they're doing in the box. And, and uh, they love to play in big moments. And, uh, you know, he gave up a couple. But I think four innings in a championship game giving up two, I think that's dang good start for us. All right. So you before we get on, you mentioned Etheridge. Like, was there a moment, like maybe not even in a game, but like in a bullpen session or whatever, where you are a scrimmage where you just coach Thibodeau and you just looked at each other like, man, this guy might be making some problem. Like, when did this turn? I mean, he just blossomed all of a sudden. It seemed like. Yeah, it happened in, in Montgomery, Alabama. You know, I uh, he's from there. Uh, he's from Alabama, and, and I don't know if it was getting back home, an adrenaline hit. He just, you know, meshed it all together. I don't know. But he flipped it into another gear, you know. He, he shifted that thing into fifth gear and uh, never looked back, really. I mean, that was big-time stuff right there. And that's if we have that guy all year, that's a difference in three, four, five wins. You throw Toyd on top of that, I mean, the prospects are really exciting. Absolutely. All right. You mentioned that you've been to the park where you're going to be playing in this Coral Gable Regional. I think you described it as kind of a hitter's park. Uh, tell us about it. And is that a good thing, you know, that it's a hitter's park for, for your particular situation and matchups? Well, I always like – I'm never going to complain about a hitter's park. You know that, Kevin. Uh, it's a, it's a uh, great facility, great ballpark. Uh, it's a unique setting, palm trees, all of that. It's exactly what you would think. And, uh, you know, there's, there's rain that comes in and out of there just about daily. Uh, so you're going to have to deal with some weather delays. There's absolutely a hundred percent, no doubt about that. Uh, and Miami plays extremely well there. They know how to hit to that ballpark. Uh, they're super tough to beat there. Uh, I know Ole Miss went through there a year ago, but, Man, that's rare. Uh, they play extremely, extremely well there at that ballpark. Tell us. Well, I know it's still you got all week to to prepare, but uh, Texas isn't an unfamiliar program from you from your days at College Station and even here. So, uh, what, 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 how does that matchup look like? Well, they're good. They're Texas, right? And uh, you know, I think. They started off a little bit slow and then went on a huge winning streak and, uh, you know, finished the year uh, probably not exactly the way they wanted, but uh, they were in the conversation to host for sure. They've got David Pierce. You know, I took over for David at Sam Houston State, and I've known David for a long time since he was at Rice. Uh, they do a tremendous job, and uh, their Texas are going to get the best of the best out of there, and, and – uh, they will be fundamentally sound. That's one thing about David's teams is they're always going to fill it. If you look at their stats, they're very, very similar to ours. They're hitting 300 as a team, 400 on base. They got a 500 slug. Uh, they, they'll bunt. Uh, you know, they're filled 980, and they're pitching it out of four something, which nowadays is pretty good. Speaking of Sam Houston. They're in an inch. I don't know how much you've got a chance to look at any of these other regionals. They're 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 in Baton Rouge, and um, uh, what do you think of their chances? 
Well, anytime you can hit the way they hit, I mean, you're dangerous. And, uh, you know, we proved that in 17 at the Texas Tech Regional going in there and winning that thing. Uh, you know, they're not a team that anybody's going to sleep on. And, you know, just based off what we had done in the past there, that's a that's a tough draw for those guys over there in LSU. And, and uh, because they're, <clears throat> they're going to come in there, they're not going to be afraid of the setting and uh, they're going to play fast, hard, and loose, and, and they're going to be able to swing the bat. You know, we talked yesterday about when you went to College Station for the regional last year. You got a lot of guys injured. I know y'all are all fatigued, but did you come out of it okay from an injury standpoint? Yeah, we'll see on Marshall. You know, he Blake, after his first inning, one, two, three, sprinted off the field all the way to the dugout steps, didn't realize he was that close. He had to jump down and rolled his ankle. So the the legend of, of Blake Marshall gets better knowing that he sprained his ankle in the very first inning he pitched. So that's another eight innings without a good ankle. Uh, so he's bouncing around on crutches right now. We'll see where he's at. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure we got some other guys a little bit banged up, but I don't think anybody's hurt or injured. Oh, man, it's going to be something. Well, look, Coach, we appreciate it. Certainly, your time as always. Admire what y'all did as a team and the guts y'all showed. And congratulations. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate everything you do for us and, and your coverage and, and uh, radio and all of it. So thank you. Take care. Good luck, Coach. All right. Thank you. Bye. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. The game hotline is 706-0111. It it was a crazy holiday weekend for sure. It was, um, we'll start with the the beauty of Last night's NBA result, because I got to tell you, I was very concerned. Like, on Sunday night, I mean, on Saturday night, I was at um, Anissa's graduation party and watching the softball game on TV, the baseball game on my phone, and then once the softball game was over, the baseball game on the TV, and then once the softball game was over, watched the end of the NBA game before we went to back to the baseball game, which was on my phone before while the softball game was going on, it, and trying to keep score of both games, and and it was just, you know, it was it was kind of hectic. But um, I I saw the end of Game Six of the Eastern Conference Final and. It was like, I don't think I've ever seen a game 
where in the moment when the game ended, you had no idea. I didn't know who won the game. Because they, they did the tip in and everybody just stood there. At first, I thought, well, the game's over. Miami won. And then once they started showing the replays, you realized, I don't think Miami did win. What's going on? I mean, Tatum was just sitting there, and his teammate comes in like mugs him. Um, It was crazy how that game ended. And um, the thing that's so difficult is – Normally, when you lose that way, especially at home in game six, and then you got to go and you just don't win. Like, that's just not supposed to happen. That When you're within like a fraction of a second of advancing and you don't advance on a tip-in with, you know, whatever, right at the buzzer, like, how do you bounce back from that, especially when you were at home and now you're going on the road? Like, I don't even know how that happens. Um, It is incredible that they won because I didn't think they were going to win. I I was hoping. Look, I love it. The Celtics lost. They, they lost at home. You know, everyone's, you know, trying to figure out how in the world did they lose that many playoff home games. Well, it's because they're not cheating with that old decrepit building they used to play in. That that place was awful. But, um, you know, Jimmy Butler's obviously had a great playoff run, but he was 5 for 21 from the field in game six on Saturday. If he'd have just had a bad shooting game instead of a horrific shooting game, the Heat would have probably won that game. But, uh, you know, again, he's human. He, he Everyone's due a, a bad game. Um, it is just great that the Celtics lost. I mean, that, that, you know, from, from my perspective, I understand some of you out there are Celtic fans, but it's like, man, why, how, but, um, so that's great. And then yesterday we've got, and we'll get to the softball team. And it's 0-2 situ- performance in Washington. Uh, but yesterday, the NCAA selection show for baseball took place. And it was strange because, like, in basketball, it's kind of nice, by the way, We keep the, with the Cajun Athletic Program right now. We've had a lot of selection shows this year. <laughs> in basketball... We had to wait. I was like, please, just don't wait till the very end because it was right up against deadline. And I was like, I was really hoping that it would have happened earlier. Um, but then it, it was one of the last ones. Like, the, we had to wait almost the whole way until the Cajuns finally came up. Well, this one kind of caught, I don't know how it is for you. It kind of caught me off guard. It was like, you're kind of thinking you're going to Baton Rouge. Although when you look at the teams that made the regional and where all and where all the host sites were or almost all of the almost all of the host sites were in the southeast, somebody like the Cajuns are considered almost a West team when you look at all the teams that made the regional. So 
it was almost like they had they kind of swayed to the bottom there when they sent him to Miami. But someone, not everybody could go to, you know, out there was no teams, there was no sites in Texas, which is a little unusual and kind of and there was none in Mississippi. There was one in Arkansas, but but Arkansas almost was taking some people from further a little bit north. So some not everybody could go to Baton Rouge and Alabama. I mean, somebody had to go down there. So it was just interesting the way it worked out. But most of us were probably thinking they're going to Baton Rouge. But for some reason, it was just boom, the third one, boom. You saw Louisiana came up. It was it was kind of sh- 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 little, not surprising that they got in, although a lot of us were worried with Charlotte getting in and Tulane winning their conference tournament that the Cajuns weren't going to get in. But it was just, I don't know, kind of shocking when it came up uh, so early. Uh, playing Texas and Miami and Maine. Those of us who are long time been following college baseball, you know, going back into the eighties, Maine in the eighties was a powerhouse. Uh, and they used to host regionals. It was kind of the regional that you wanted to go to. Uh, back then I remember in softball, you said like, you used to want man, I hope we get to go to that Northeast regional. And a lot of times it was main hosting. Not that they were bad, but just that they weren't as good as, you know, back then going to Oklahoma State or or going to Texas or LSU or wherever. Um, and they actually made a trip down here, Maine, one time. where They had a legendary Hall of Fame coach who was a great guy to talk to. But there, when, when, when it first happened – the thought was, man, could this is this the only regional in the whole out of all sixteen regionals that all four teams have been to Omaha? And then we looked it up, and um, it they actually it was three: Arkansas, the Fayetteville regional, all four teams have been, and the regional at Stunford, all all four teams have been. But it was um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I did not expect Miami. weren't you shocked with Miami? Oh yeah, certainly surprised. Um, and it's funny too. Again, and we've we've talked about this a lot. Like it's it's regional to an extent, but like Maine, <laughs> Maine's not very regional to uh, to play in Miami. They have to go a long way. But um, ton of ton of host sites in North Carolina, which I guess for Maine that that have been a lot closer than going all the way to Miami. But um, it's 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 interesting. Like you mentioned, yeah, there's a ton of concentrated host sites in the north in the Carolina area, and then in the southeast, of course, all the SEC schools, and then like that's most of the host sites. Like you got Stanford yes. and. You know that's like it, really. I mean, it's it's the it's the Southeast, the Carolinas, and Stanford is is pretty much everybody, and Indiana State, I guess. If you know, if you don't want to call them the Southeast. All right, since you mentioned Indiana State, please explain them to me. See, I don't follow Indiana State baseball. First of all, that's where Ugly Larry Bird went. So I I just try to act like it never even exist. It doesn't even exist, Indiana State. But so I certainly don't follow them. And 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 so I said, you know, they got a host side, and so I'm saying, well, they must have some really good. They must have played a really good schedule and have some really good wins. So I looked up their schedule, Indiana State. So they lost to Iowa, which is not a bad loss. I was a good team. They played Northeastern three times, got swept. They played Kentucky three times, got swept. They have one good win, Vanderbilt. That got him a whole site? Like, have you figured out Indiana State yet? Well, again, 
every year it's different with the committee. The overall RPI is what you're is what's going to get them a host site. And this committee, way more so than the softball committee, valued RPI over anything. Now they made one glowing exception when they took Auburn at 19 and put them in over teams like Campbell and Boston College, which to me doesn't make sense. Auburn is not deserving of a regional in my opinion, but I understand. Yeah, that that concern with Indiana State. They have a couple other good wins. They have a win over Indiana, who is a RPI top 30 team who had 41 wins. Um, they dominated their conference, which, again, yeah, the Missouri Valley is not great. So, you know, that is something that's it's, – it, it is what it is. Um, but I don't mind the fact that they got in because it's overall body of work with the overall strength of schedule. Their teams that they beat, they never played anybody that dragged the RPI down. And that's kind of what we talked about in, you know, basketball at times, like – that really hurts the Cajuns, like when they play teams in the 300s or the 250s. Um, they didn't play teams like that. So the overall RPI, it's top 10. It would have been difficult to not put a team with an RPI of 9, which is what we said with softball. And, I mean, they didn't have any problems doing it to the Cajuns. But um, I think that's where it comes from because the RPI is at 9. I think that's that's really the only reason I think they're in. You know, it's they talked after John Cohen, the head of the committee, talked and – he basically acknowledged that the RPI is flawed and said that they're going to come up with a better system. You know, I don't I don't know like basketball has come up. I guess you could say it's a better system. They've come up with a different system. And again, I I, I still go back to what I've been saying since the 90s. You have to find a system that doesn't give you as much credit for conference wins, especially home conference wins. You have to understand that in sports, you're going to win a certain amount of home conference games. And I think even the Cajuns benefited from what I'm talking about. You know, like I'm writing, I'm writing um, like, you know, the, the story yesterday and it hit me. It's like the Cajuns have a win over Southern Miss, which is a really good win. But they all, but when you lose three out of four to a team, should you get credit for that one win? You know what I'm saying? No, I get I, it. But baseball's and, and, tough. And the, and the major conference, they get that all the time. Like if you're LSU and you lose two out of three to Auburn, you shouldn't get so much credit for that one win. Well, I will say this that I've actually been impressed with the baseball committee's decisions and dealings is that they didn't value quad one wins for the major conference teams nearly as much as we've seen and even saw in softball, right, where Alabama got all this credit for these top 10 wins. Because when you compare a team like Indiana State, which, by the way, and again, I, I don't get, you know, sometimes with the RBI, the RPI, because, again, it takes into account not only your opponent's win percentage, but then your opponent's opponent's win percentage. Their non-conference strength of schedule is number five, even though it doesn't look like it from, from who they played. It was five, and their overall strength of schedule was 43rd. So still... A very good strength of schedule, which led to so their they must overall have RPI no, being nine. It seemed like almost every good team they played, they lost to, except for Vanderbilt. But they must not have played anybody who had an RPI like in the hundred, like 150 or something. Well, they did in conference play, but they beat them all. So I think that's the other big. They didn't lose any of those games. So that that helped them because they end up with a 17-1 and record in Q4 and a 13-1 and record in Q3. So that's part of it. But back to what I was saying about the quad one wins. Like, for instance, 
Uh, where is it? Boston College has 13 quad one wins, but we saw them give host sites to Coastal and Indiana State over that just because it wasn't, you know, a lot of those quad one wins are in the ACC. Now, Coastal's different because they have 10, but Indiana State, yeah, they only had two quad one wins, uh, but I think you saw the committee kind of recognize the difference there with Boston College and teams like, you know, Tennessee and teams like that. Now, the other funny thing is, and we've talked about this, the committee, and, and I guess I get it, Coastal had all those wins against teams in the Carolinas in midweek games that are really good teams. Southern Miss is clearly better than Coastal, in my opinion. Like, I'm not sure it's that close either. Um, and Coastal gets a host and Southern Miss doesn't. It's just kind of how it works. Southern Miss's RPI is 21 and Coastal's is 14, so that's why it was. But I don't think anybody who watched the Sun Belt... So how does Coastal get seated ahead of its RPI? By a lot, too, by four slots. Be- because they won the national championship? Like, Maybe that plays into That was it. a long time ago. Now, it wasn't that long ago. And I have no if that's what it is, I have no problem with that. Because other programs and you know and different sports get treated for the history of their program. But it's it it's just very interesting to me that it played out that way. Well, and how about this too? You would immediately point to and say, Well, Coastal was ten and nine in quad one games, and you would probably just assume that that's better than Southern Miss. Southern Miss was 10-5 and five in quad one games. That's like the second or third best winning percentage in quad one games in the entire country. So they had the quad one wins. Now, Southern Miss had some losses, too, mixed in. They weren't even as good in quad two as they were in quad one, which, by the way, again, for people listening, quad one is it's home games against top 40 teams, it's road games against top 75, and then their neutral site. It's a bit complicated, but it essentially measures how you do against the better teams in the country. Um, so yeah, the, the end number of being 21 in the RPI changes things. And I don't know why coastal was seated 10th. I don't think they're the 10th best team in the country. I don't think they're necessarily going to win that regional against Duke, but for whatever reason, everybody Cages were seven and 10, I believe in quad ones wins Correct. is when I was told. Um, um, you know, the Cajuns, you know, you know, that win against LSU at the time, Everyone said, well, it's a nice win, but then they lost some conference games and they're like, you know, well, that's over with. But I think that win actually mattered a lot. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I I think that win actually mattered a lot. By the way, speaking of this, and we got to take a timeout, but speaking of the Sunbelt Conference, I thought it was kind of interesting how, and I kind of think it's a good sign for the future. The Cajuns were in their 18th regional yesterday Troy's in this 22nd regional that's surprise I didn't realize Troy had been to that many um Coastal was in its 19th regional and Southern Miss was in its 19th regional and it's seven straight so those four programs that are in they all have been but to eight between 18 and 22 regionals very kind of in that little uh similar there in terms of consistently good by the way, I really like Troy's regional. Now, Auburn, though, has played really well down the stretch, I thought. They played much better down the stretch than they were at the beginning. But overall, it would not sh- it would not shock me if Troy did very good. At- no, 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 no. Southern Miss is in the Auburn regional. Troy's in the Alabama regional. And I, li- I would not be surprised at all if Troy does well in that regional. I think that's a very winnable Regional Southern Miss. I don't know. Auburn's gonna be a little tougher, but I like their chances as well because the third seat Sanford's not an extra song strong third seat. We'll take a timeout and be back. 
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. If you would like to get in, now is a good time to do it. We've got lots to unpack still, trying to get through all of this NCAA uh, baseball selection show. You know, it really is amazing. And I kind of talked about it with Coach Deggs. When you look at where the Cajuns were six weeks ago, many people, including probably most of us, were like, well, their hopes that an at-large bid are now gone. They're just gone. And I remember two months, not a week, a week ago from yesterday, when Coach Deggs held his weekly Monday presser going into the conference tournament. It was like it might have been the last question. I think it was the last question of the of the press conference. And he said there is one other scenario where it could work and that's win and lose, get to play Coastal twice and then lose to Southern Miss in the final. In other words, that was the scenario, other than make winning the conference tournament, that was the scenario that could get him in, and it's exactly what happened. It's amazing, but it's exactly what happened. And when we asked Max Morshock yesterday, he said he didn't ever he didn't ever hear Coach Deck say that. In other words, he didn't tell that to the team, but he was saying that to us at the presser, like that's the other scenario that could work out for the Cajuns, and it did. I was yeah, and I was thinking about that, and I'll try to be brief here. But so there's a few things. One of all the teams in the top 100, which for RPI at this point, teams in the middle and bottom of the pack made big jumps, like Tulane, because they won games and they didn't win all year. But of the teams in the top 100, the Cajuns had the biggest jump in RPI in the last week. They went up 20 spots from 67 to 47. And I think you make a great point there. I don't even know, and I would have had to look a little bit more at the numbers on how the RPI was affected. If you win the first game against Coastal and then come back and beat them again, but you don't lose to them, I don't know if you get the strength to schedule boost that raises your RPI higher. I don't. You, you might have ended up being a couple of spots higher because you played them a third time and lost. Just because sometimes that helps you because Coastal's RPI is so much higher than a lot of other teams in the league. So, I, I, yeah, it might have been the only the only possible way. Now, if you'd have went two and zero against them and you're having the same conversation with the committee, you're going well. How could we have you know, done better than beating them twice instead of losing to them and beating them again? But I, I don't know if it all works out. Yeah, and Southern Miss, that's another thing. And I asked, we, we talked about it last week, I said, is there a scenario where you want the easiest route to the championship to win it, or do you want this RPI gauntlet that maybe can help you out, and it ends up being the RPI gauntlet is what gets it. Now, if you weren't playing Southern Miss in the championship game, maybe you have a great chance to beat who it is, right? But it is crazy how it all ends up falling into place in the end. And there is something a little different and cool and nice. You know, it's great to win the conference tournament, but it is kind of cool to be able to say, you know what, we we lost in the finals of our conference tournament and still got in. 
That's kind of nice. And I brought that up in the first show is that, and, and, I, and I said, we're going to talk about it in the fall too, and it's unfortunate, but like in basketball, it's not sustainable to win the conference tournament every year in basketball. And now the Sun Belt is fighting that battle of maybe eventually trying to be not a one-bid league. But it's not sustainable, but unfortunately it's the only option they have. Right. So in baseball, it is different because, A, the Sun Belt is great right now, and it's a top-five league. And yeah, and now it's not like this is the first time there's been a, si- a situation where you should get to the conference tournament when you're good and not have to worry about winning it. And you can maybe go, hey, we don't have to throw Blake Marshall twice in the same day because we're so desperate to get wins. Maybe they could, you know, in future situations, you'd like to have that wrapped up. The last thing I want to mention, I know we have Joey waiting on the line here, but the last thing I want to mention is that you had this situation that took place where you had to win two games in one day, and then bounce back and play Southern Miss the next day, whereas Southern Miss, who ended up having to play the two games as well, they were just in a different pitching standpoint, though. They were in a different situation. And Southern Miss, they didn't even throw Tanner Hall in that game. And they could have, and they didn't. So that's another like an advantage to being where you were. Well, that kid, Storm, pitched great for sure. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, good morning, Kev. Good morning. You're going to need a third hour today. Oh, yeah, it's tough. There's a lot going on. We hadn't even got to the girls yet. But um, first things, when you were talking about Maine, I I recall a series at Teague Moore when Maine came to town. And at the time, they were 21-6, and I believe. And they had yet to play a home game. Oh, I believe that, yes. Because of the weather in Maine, they basically hit the road. I think they started in Arizona or California and just had series scheduled kind of playing their way back home because it was too snowy and cold and miserable to play baseball at home. So, I mean, we, we kind of take that for granted with some of these Northern teams is that they're kind of behind the eight ball early in the year while we're playing baseball in February, you know, in March, uh, they're still snowed in, but I was tickled by that. Literally they played almost 30 games and had yet to play a single game at home. But, uh, again, I'm, I was going to switch to the girls. I just found it kind of crazy that they don't get shut out all year. And then they get that shut out back-to-back in Washington. And I believe, didn't LSU shut them out? Yeah, they got shut out game? three times in the postseason. I, I said what about, you know, going in the final weeks of the regular season, my biggest concern about this team is the ability to hit. That was my concern. I, I, don't, I, I didn't think they had any dominant pitchers. I thought they had a lot of really good pitchers. And they pit well. They didn't pitch great in the first game, but they pitched very w- much well enough to win the second game. I just, you know, it's just about being able to hit. Now, I want. I'd have to go back and look. I don't know. Did they ever have a runner on third with less than two outs that they didn't get in in those two games? What what they didn't do is get any two out hits with runners in scoring position. But again, I try to remind myself and y'all, you're never uh, you're never supposed to get a hit. I don't think anybody. I don't think people understand that because they don't understand the Piper and they don't understand baseball or softball in this case. You're never supposed to get a hit because no one hits five hundred. Or 600. They bat. If you're really good, you bat four or something. You're never supposed to get a hit. Now, you're supposed to, in my mind, get a runner from home, home from third with less than two outs. It's great if you can get a hit. And they just never could get a hit with a runner in scoring position. They just couldn't. 
Yeah, two out hits is what killed them too. So uh, I agree. They it just it was tough for them to lay that egg at that time, and it, it's hard to take away from the great season they had. But that's a, that's got to be a tough pill for them to swallow. Look, it, the game two was winnable. Shut out. Absolutely. I, and them stealing home kind of summed it up. Caught them napping, and uh, I mean, it was just that kind of weekend. That's why it's so important to try and host those things. What a beautiful ballpark they had in Washington. That that stadium, on TV at least, it looked gorgeous. It was really pretty with the lake in the background. To contrast that, where the baseball team played, I got a buddy that was at the tournament in Alabama. And he was joking with me, saying he put his head down on the pillow in the hotel and he heard trains all night. I bet you there were 300 trains passed in the background of those ball games while they were there. It was, it was just crazy. He literally said, I was hearing trains all night long. I couldn't sleep. I believe it. So, but hats off to him. When I saw Southern Miss didn't get a regional after winning, I was really scared they were going to hose the Cajuns. And Kent State actually had a higher RPI than the Cajuns, and were one of the first four teams out. So those two games against Coastal is pretty much it's, – it's, it's, that's our season. We don't win those two on Saturday. We're home right now. So hats off to the Cajuns. I'm glad they're not at LSU. I was, I was seeing a LSU-UL two-lane regional, man. It was just like, oh, this is going to make me want to vomit. So I was kind of excited when they got shipped off to Miami, and I actually think it's a winnable regional. So well, we'll I, I, I don't know. We'll, men we'll, we'll, and women. we'll see. We'll see. I appreciate the call, Joey. God bless, bro. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's not uncommon here on Footnotes for Kevin Foote's voice and his blood pressure to rise rapidly during the show. The fat guys like you and me need to be watching mop-up time just like the stars do. Sometimes it rises a little too high. That is stupid. Stupid. Not to worry. We have EMT standing by just in case Foot passes out. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Went a little long. With the uh, two segments ago, but that's okay. We got lots to going on. We have we 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 will get to. Well, we can mention some of it now. Overall, I think LSU got a pretty good path. I I think Sam Houston, to Coach Degg's point, is a is a team in the three seed that a lot of people nationally might overlook a little bit, but they can really hit. And so we'll see how they do. Uh, with Oregon State, Oregon State is a team that you know you don't have to have a real long memory to remember when they were like number one, number two, number three seed overall in a powerhouse and winning national championships. They they have thirty nine wins. Oregon State they're hitting two ninety as a team. They got seventy nine homers. They run a little bit. They have eighty nine stolen bases. You look at their pitching, they got a 465 team ERA, which used to be, oh, that's not that great. But today, I mean, that's kind of normal. They have one pitcher. They have two pitchers that have started 14 games. 
One of them has a 471 ERA, and the other one has a 513 ERA. It's just amazing where we are. You know, it hit us here in my in my little mind about a month ago. Yeah, the Cajuns don't have great pitching based on what we remember as really good pitching, but hardly no one does. Like, you know, Wake Forest does, but, like, who else besides Wake Forest has great pitching numbers? Like, hardly no one. I mean, it's amazing. Um, they have one pitcher with eight starts. His ERA is 409. And another pitcher with seven starts with a 303. So, and that guy only has 32 innings pitch on the season. About what Corey Riosetto has in softball. So, um, it's hard to know how good a team's going to be. And again, so much of it. And I say this all the time because I think it's true. We can sit here and project all we want. You just don't know who's going to get the clutch two-out hit with um, runners in scoring position and who's not. Like, we were just talking about that on the UL softball side. In the first inning of the first game, the Cajuns had a runners on the corners and two outs. And Carly crushed the ball right at the second baseman, and she made the play, and they didn't score a run. And then there's going to be other situations where runners on the corners and they hit a high pop-up that lands right on the third baseline. And, you know, and then you win and it looks in the box score great, but you didn't hit it as hard as Carly did. And, again, that's baseball, Sash softball. Um, you just don't know in those close games who's going to get the big hit and who's not going to ahead of time. That's it for hour number one, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. We have, again, the game hotline is 706-0111, If you would like to get in, so much has happened since we last spoke. You know, we talked a lot about the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. The Cajuns played in softball in their Super Regional and went 0-2. We'll talk about that. LSU, boy, was I wrong. I thought it was setting up perfectly when they won the first game of the SEC Tournament without – their number one or number two starters, and it turned out they went out quickly. But again, I, I don't know that that's a bad thing. Like, if I'm a Texas fan, I feel good that you don't like to lose in the moment, but I think it's going to help them that they went 0-2, you know, an hour or two, however long it is from Austin to Arlington, you know, not that far away from home. And then you go home while the Cajuns were in Alabama – like Joey said, listening to trains, for, uh, you know, getting to bed at two in the morning and listening to trains all night and then having to get up the next day on Saturday early and play a doubleheader Saturday and, 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 a, and a what, a one o'clock game on Sunday and, and, and expend all of that energy and effort and mental, you know, everything it takes mentally to get through all of that. I mean... It is, uh, I think it's an advantage. If I'm LSU, I don't want to go deep into a regional, into a conference tournament. So I think um, that might be a blessing in disguise, even though it's never fun to lose. 
Uh, you know, it certainly didn't help hurt LSU. They got a five seed, yeah. They weren't a one, two, or a three seed. First of all, you don't want to beat a one seed. That it hadn't won a, a World Series since the last century, the one seed in college baseball. So you never want to mess with that. Um, and overall, if you're an LSU fan, I'm not saying you can't lose, but you gotta like your 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 regional very much. You know, Kentucky is another prime example of the RPI. Like it's they they got a two RPI and they're a twelve seed. So the committee recognizes there's something about this RPI that's not right. But for other people, it is right. It's just a mess. We'll take a phone call. Uh, go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Kevin, remember what we were talking about last week? A uh, 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 Dex coach team is going to play the character just like the coach, and they're going to go down swinging. Well, let me tell you what. They, they, they didn't even go down. They swung, and they, they wanted they, uh, they fight in, uh, in a decision. It was um, – no, it was impressive what they did, no question. You know, uh, uh, talking about that regional, I don't know where anybody's saying that's an easy, re- easy regional what they're going through. Texas was, was supposed to host. The only reason why they didn't host is they, got, they, they were 0-2 in their uh, their tournament. But Texas is good, buddy. And, I mean, I think Texas might be better than Miami, and I, I, don't not, I do not think we have an easy regional at all. No, I, look, Miami, if, if, you, if you ranked the top, five or six college baseball programs ever Miami would be in that number like they've they've been to a million regionals and 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 I again I don't even care I mean I I think Texas is good I think Miami's good I'm just worried about do the Cajuns have anything left after climbing this mountain over the last six weeks it was like that last year too Kevin you know, I look. I don't. You know, I understand. I, I love the way they're getting against the regionals, but last year they had to fight and claw with all their pitches. What was it? Uh, Schultz threw 120 some 127 pitches during that game. 142. He, to- he threw 142 to beat Texas yeah. State. And, and and again, the difference is when they got to the College Station Regional last year, Marshawn got hurt and um, Bo Bonds blew out his his his, his elbow uh, in the last inning. Uh, when they beat TCU, and Rockefort was hurt that entire that entire that everyone's I, I mean I asked him yesterday and he deflected, but he was basically swinging with one arm in that regional Rockefort last year. He was a shell of himself. What it's kind of going to be the same way with this team now? I mean, yeah, what, 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 what can we expect from Blake Marshall? What can we expect from uh, 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 our, our Friday night guy? I mean, he pitched again on Saturday. I mean. It, a matter how much they're going to have left. I mean, look, it's great that they did that and all that, but it, it, I hope we're trying to get to a point to where we could be like Southern Miss and Coastal was and don't have to worry what we do in the conference tournament. We could be more, more rested up when we get to a regional. Well, it, hopefully it'll happen one day. We'll see. All right, y'all have a good day. Take care. Yeah, I... I wanted to quickly just say I, I fully agree with FedEx Man's point, and I, I saw that, and I told you that off the air. Like I've been seeing people say, "Oh, I like the draw; it's a winnable regional stuff." Like obviously, any any regional's winnable. I mean, if, as long as you're a pretty decent team, I don't like the Cajuns. I'm I'm enjoying that they're there. 
And, and that's how I'm treating this regional. I, I don't like if they won a game in the regional, you wouldn't be surprised. Of course, you'll you know, if, if it works out like that, you'll play the four seed. You'll play Maine, who you're probably more talented than. Um, I wouldn't expect the Cajuns to beat Texas on Friday night, and I wouldn't expect them to beat Miami if they ended up having to play them at some point. Um, I'm with you, and I mean, what did, what did they? What were they down to? Eleven scholarship pitchers in that tournament, or something like that, and and not only eleven guys, but a couple of those eleven you didn't see much. Like he went back to the guys that he, I mean, he threw Nezu on three, two, three days rest. Like you, they just and they Nezu just don't did have fine. Oh no, yeah, he did. He and did. when I asked Coach Deggs about Corson, he talked about the the finals, but I wasn't talking about the finals. I was talking about his first start of the weekend over Coastal. That was the worst he had pitched in any of his starts, and it's. I think it's because they were. He was a righty, and he was facing some a really good left-handed lineup, and they hit some home runs off of him. But, um, no, look, I think I think it's going to be tough. Now, normally Texas is not a great offensive team. Sometimes they're a pretty good offensive team. They normally pitch and play defense. I don't. I know, coach. As a hitting coach, Coach Dex says he likes pitchers' park. I don't know. I mean, hitters' parks. I don't know that the hit playing in a hitters' park is what the Cajuns need right now. Yeah, I'm not sure. And and Miami again. That's another one. Miami's really, really good. I don't. I don't know if uh, I. I wouldn't have. If you gave me my pick of regionals to go to, I guess it's always dicey to go to any of the SEC regionals because you're just worried that you're going to have too much firepower against you. But Miami wouldn't have been the top of my list either. Um, but. I did want to bring up like, and, and get your opinion on some of these things. Some of these, and, and we know all regionals aren't created equally, it's a lot different than basketball because when we think of the NCAA tournament where you have four one-seeds and then four two-seeds, in this situation you have 16 one-seeds. So there's even an even bigger gap between what's a four-seed and what's not, and you know that's the way they have to do it. But Oklahoma State is a team that is hosting a regional, and you know they weren't the last team in or anything like that. They've got to have they have 46 win Oral Roberts as the four seed in their regional, who, by the way, played them twice in the regular season and swept them. Oral Roberts beat Oklahoma State both times they played in the regular season. And that's their four seed. Now, sometimes, you know, you maybe go circumstance-wise, well, it's not too bad to have to play them again since you, you know, Oklahoma State lost twice to him and all this. But like, and I, I love Tulane and you know, I, I I grew up rooting for Tulane. That Tulane team is not very good, and they don't have any pitching at all. And so if you're LSU, yeah, you, you're. A, I, I think you're a whole lot happier that you got Tulane in your regional as opposed to Oral Roberts. And it is just funny. like, So that's a four-team regional in Oklahoma State where you've got anybody. I mean, like Oral Roberts is, is good. Again, we, and we do that. No, in the Oral NCAA Roberts has 46 wins. And Dallas Baptist, I know they haven't won a bunch of regionals, but I still think that team can hit. Yeah. I, I would want no part of playing Dallas Baptist. They have 45 wins. And then Washington's a – only has 34 wins, but from the Pac-12, they're probably a really good team, a good solid team. I don't know. I, I was going to ask that. That was on my short list of, of toughest regionals from top to bottom. Yeah, and, and that's what I – now, I get Oral Roberts' RPI wasn't great. That's why they're a four seed, but they beat Oklahoma State twice. They have other really good wins. Like, they, they are really – and they dominated their conference. I mean, just dominate them. Now, obviously the conference isn't very good, and it dragged their RPI down, but – I don't like the idea of playing teams that are used to winning, and I said this in the college basketball tournament with teams that had 30-plus wins but played in smaller conferences. That's Oral Roberts. Is, and by the way, they've made a couple of runs in the both, both the baseball regionals. LSU ran into Oral Roberts a couple of times. Like They're a team that I wouldn't want to have as a four-seed is my point. If they're a three-seed in the regional, then okay. 
The other thing I want to say is I don't think Wake Forest got the best treatment, even though they're the number one overall seed. I agree. I don't think it was. E- I don't think they have an easy region. Yeah, right? it's not the worst case now. And I guess what you can say the committee did for them is they didn't give them anybody in the you know high teens RPI wise or twenties. Both teams are in the thirties, but Northeastern is a really really good team at forty four and fourteen. Not only forty four and fourteen, but a top thirty five RPI team that has some really good wins. And Maryland was a team that every time their name kept getting discussed for Baton Rouge, I heard a lot of LSU people saying, I don't want any part of Maryland in this regional. So you got a couple of teams there that, that they're going to have to play with, and they get George Mason, who has a couple of pitchers. I looked at the depth chart there. George Mason's got a couple of guys that are pretty good, although they're not as probably as good as some of the other, you know, again, like Oral Roberts is. But I didn't think that was the, uh, the best treatment of your number one overall seed, who is supposed to, in theory, have the easiest path. South Carolina... I don't think it's like a dominant number one seed, but I think that's a pretty tough regional because it wouldn't surprise me at all if Campbell won that region. And North Carolina State's had a lot of success too in recent years. So I think that's a, a pretty tough regional as well. And the Arkansas one interests me. You know, TCU, Arizona, and Arkansas. Uh, I think Arkansas is going to win that regional, but sometimes it's, you know, you face a team like an Arizona who finishes strong and their their season overall maybe isn't as good, but you finish strong. You're not playing that team from two months ago. You're playing the team that, that's going on right now. So we'll see how that takes place. Yeah, no, there's a lot of it. And I always like to look at the four seeds first. Like if you can catch a break in that four seed game, if you're a host, then it really can help you out. Because again, like I don't now, and I don't know a ton about Oklahoma State's pitching staff, but like, they have to probably consider throwing their number one right. against Oral Roberts at least. Whereas like LSU, look, they're I know I don't know if it's been announced yet. They're not gonna throw skeins against Tulane. I would be shocked if they throw skeins against Tulane. That it would he would be highly questioned if he did that. Right. And so but again, if if LSU would have ended up with Oral Roberts as the four seed in the regional, I don't know if they would have, but I wouldn't have blamed him if they threw him because again, that's a team that can clearly hit, can clearly score runs, and is used to winning games. They're not gonna go into a regional like that and expect to go 0 and two, even though they're they got a four next to their name. You think Southern Miss will start, will pitch its ace? I thought about that too. Uh, probably, right? Because you're going to be playing a team that is pretty evenly matched with you, at least on paper. But I, I think Southern Miss wins that regional. I, 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 I That's one of my kind of bold takeaways. And I actually think Coastal doesn't. So I would take one Sunbelt team in place of the other, the one that's not hosting. But, um, but Auburn's better than Duke. Yeah, but all, and Auburn's been playing well, and Duke hasn't, so I guess that's the advantage-disadvantage there. But I just think Southern Miss has the depth in the pitching staff that not a lot of teams, and we've we've kind of discussed this, not a lot of teams at all in this country have the pitching depth. I agree. So who, what pitching staff is going to get Coastal out? I guess that's a fair point, but the Cajuns' pitching staff got Coastal out, and it wasn't even the top guys. So Somebody better have a really good left-hander. And then the I guess thing about the thing about them is they're so many of their dangerous hitters are left-handed hitters. So if you have a left-handed pitcher that can get hot, then you might actually have a chance. But you better have a really good left-handed pitcher. I and, and Duke hasn't played great down the stretch, but I would argue that Coastal hasn't either. They really haven't swung the bats as well as they were in the middle portion of the season where they were scoring 15 runs a game. So it'll be fun. I, I think there's a good chance Coastal still wins it, but. I don't know. It's it's. I still I you know. And again, I, I get why the RPI is, but I I would have had Southern Miss hosting over Coastal if it was just a comparison of of Sun Belt teams. But um, the committee felt differently. Am I overrating Troy? 
No, I, I, I don't. I, I, Troy's been weird to me. Even when the Cajuns played him, I don't see anywhere on there. Now, they have a couple of good pitchers. The Friday night guy, he pitched great against the Cajuns. I don't know if that's enough to get through a regional, but they're so they're solid everywhere. I guess they're just not great in any one area, but that sometimes is what you need because you're going to need a variety of things. Another thing, by the way, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the Cajuns regional, but like we already heard Coach Degg say it, rain's going to be a factor, and I almost oh. think it's interesting because like Coach Degg, they're they're not afraid to to throw guys in situations where some teams may be more hesitant. Like I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a rain delay. As long as they felt fine about it, they would bring a guy back after a rain delay. Some teams don't do that at all. It's just like depends on the coach's philosophy. So that might be something to just think about. That's, you know, a long ways away, and we'll see what the forecast looks like. But early indications are that it's not great. It's going to be a tricky deal not starting warming up a guy if you think, you know, like when do you start warming up a guy if you think the rain could be coming? Like that may not be an easy decision. And and I wonder that on the coast like that, is it harder to predict when the rain's coming than it is like if you're in, you know, Nebraska or somewhere in the middle. I I don't know. It is um that could be tricky. So you're telling me I'm fixing to sit there through rain delay. That's what Degs has been saying since yesterday. Well, and I mean I'll I'll give you an updated weather forecast when we come back from the break, but the early indications that I saw weren't weren't ideal. But again, I, I it's also one of those situations where it's like we'll see what happens on Friday morning because it could you could have rain in the forecast all no, week. No, they have could, turf or grass. I'll have to research that. I'll have both of those answers for you coming you up. You said you went there last year, didn't you? Not to the baseball stadium. I went to the football game. Oh, the football game. I misunderstood that. Okay, yep. I'm sorry. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foot, an award-winning journalist, popular sports talk show host, and a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decided to inflict them with, with the, the whole bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. Not a normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. This out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. Dr. Foote is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. If you would like to get in, uh, now's the time to do it. We'll be talking a little bit more about the Cajun softball team with Bobby Nervos. We wrap up their season. He's fresh back from his trip to Seattle. We'll be doing that in the next segment. I have... Bad news and then not great news on the side of the bad news. Okay. The field is uh, not artificial turf. It's a natural grass field with uh, dirt as well. So, you know, that's an interesting choice too. I guess I would almost assume they'd have turf given how much, you know, the rain is always a factor there. But it also would be really hot too. Yeah, so I guess it's fair. kind of which one do you want to deal with? 
And the forecast is not looking great. Friday, 60% scattered thunderstorms throughout the day. Saturday, 60% scattered thunderstorms throughout the day. You get a break on Sunday, you you downgrade to isolated thunderstorms at only 30%. So this could be tough. It's going to be tough. Now, I guess there's there's probably no, you know, they're not going to move these games up until they really have an idea of the forecast because, again, as it's kind of been mentioned, like it's it's Miami, it's probably a lot like here. You know, it's there's showers that pass by, and sometimes it rains a lot, and sometimes it doesn't rain at all, and sometimes you never know until it's the day of. But um, it's not ideal. So you're telling me there's a possibility that there could be a whole day rained out and push this whole tournament back kind of thing? Yeah, no, I mean, it does say scattered, so you, you, you feel like you'll probably be able to get some game, you know, get some game time in, whether it's just with delays and, and, and things like that. Now, I would also be interested to see, again, if this becomes a more prevalent, maybe if the forecast gets any worse, do they consider moving Friday's game up, or would they even do that because of travel reasons? It would be well, interesting. Sure not. Right, and then I would imagine, you know, on Saturday, even though they're probably not scheduled to start the games until they might be, might be an early morning on Saturday if they got to make up Friday and or on Sunday as well. Now we talked about this in softball. We haven't talked about it in baseball, but it's interesting to me how some teams choose to play the first game and some teams choose to play the second game. For instance, LSU decided to play the first game. I guess that's you do that for rest reasons, I guess. And weather. Uh, well, and actually, you know, the funny thing is um, Coach Jeff Willis, when I was talking with LSUE, like part of the reason then they, they considered they always wanted to play the earlier game if it was an option to them because they wanted to play it and they didn't want to have to get delayed and, you know, then A, playing into 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night or B, not playing at all and then having to play double headers. So I think that's the idea there. But yeah, Miami, who is no stranger to hosting regionals with rain being a factor. They chose the night game, so that is interesting. You know, because I remember having that discussion with Coach Glasgow when he elected to play the games at the end, the night game, rather than the second-to-last game. You know, I guess there's benefits. You know, the Cajuns played the night game in Montgomery the first couple days, which ended up like one of them started at 8-11, the other one started at 9-11. I don't know why 11 each time, although it didn't start till 14, even though it was scheduled to start at 11. It started at 9-14. The problem with that is you go to bed, like Coach Deck said, about 2 in the morning once you get the game done and then you get back to the hotel. And uh, and then, you know, in, in that case, you you have to wake up and play a 12-30 doubleheader the next day, assuming you win the first game. So I... I don't know which one is best. The uh, maybe the only good news I have for you weather-wise is that it's only the high is only going to be around eighty-three for Friday and Saturday, and there's going to be some wind, some breeze, so it shouldn't be like miserably hot out there. I've never been down there. Like I think when I was like three or four years old, um, I've told the story before that there was a friend of my parents when I was real young that lived in Miami. And he he used to send me he used to send us dolphin stuff. So even though I've always been a Saints fan, I had some like dolphin stuff during their early seventies glory years. They would always he would always send us stuff. So I think they took a trip to visit him when I was real little. I don't remember any of it, and I think I kind of might have gone as far south as like Daytona or Fort Lauderdale, maybe on a family vacation when I was like nine or ten. But basically, in my memory, I have no memory of I've never been in Miami, so it'll be it'll be interesting. And like 
people say none of it's really in Miami, but it's all right next to each other, right? I mean, is it, it's kind of like, is it kind of like, I know it's not Twin Cities, but like you could say, oh, I've never been to Dallas if you've been to Arlington, but I consider Arlington and Dallas and all of those areas around there Dallas. Yeah, no, I don't. It's not right there. I, and I've never been to the baseball stadium. I've never been to Miami's campus. So that's the funny thing. I made, I made a joke. Like, I took a trip and went to the Florida State Road game at Miami, and I never went to Miami, and I never saw the University of Miami, and I never saw the city of Miami. Like, <laughs> we, they play in Miami Gardens at Hard Rock, which is where the Dolphins play, which is like 40, 45 minutes away from Miami. And then we stayed in like Boca, which was like further north. So I never saw any of that, but did see the Miami football team play Florida State in that. But. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting, and I the baseball stadium's on campus, so it's different than football. But um, that's also not in Miami because it's in Coral Gables. So <laughs> a lot a lot of areas down in there. Yes, I think um, I think the hotel I, I, I have is in Sweetwater. I don't know anything about Sweetwater. Or, again, I don't know anything I'm about. Not Miami familiar with Sweetwater, but either. it'll be interesting. Okay, uh, I just hope there's not too many rain delays. Those of us who have been. To those of us who were at the the Baton Rouge softball regional, what was that, three years ago, two years ago, whenever that was, uh, and just sat through like five and six hour <laughs> rain delays, that stuff's just mind numbing. I mean, you just don't want to go through that. All, all, all right. So overall, and we'll have all week to discuss some of this, but overall, what was your deci- final decision on the easiest regional and the toughest regional? Toughest one, I'll go. I'll go Stillwater. I agree. Um, easiest, I think Clemson's got a good got a good draw. Um, you don't think Lexington? It's certainly possible. But the other thing about Lexington, and and that's the other thing too. I would ask you, easier for who? The for the host team, you mean? Well, just overall depth. Like, do you really think a Big Ten number three seed is that dangerous? Well, I think West Virginia is really good. I would actually favor them. I always take, if I'm going to say weak regional, I think a regional where the four seed is not a factor is really important because I think it really helps when you can throw somebody who you don't really have to have be confident in, and then if you get caught in the loser's bracket, you catch another break playing them in that situation. I think that's where I really think re- – so that's why I think LSU has a decent setup. Now, I think Florida – like, like you trust George Springer University? Um, not a ton. Well, they've been successful recently. Now, yeah, they got a break. You've got FAMU, who traditionally, you know, teams coming out of the SWAC or the MEAC haven't been as successful uh, in NCAA tournaments. So I, I don't know. There, it's it. I might, I might say Florida. It's possible. I, I think I would still go. I don't. know. I need to study on it a little more. I think I'd go Clemson though. How about Coastal? That doesn't look like a tough regional. It, it, as far as weakest, well, yeah, no. W- I, Wilmington is the three seed. Duke is not a great two seed. Certainly, with respect to just the overall like strength of the regional versus the other ones, not like who has an easier path out of it. Yeah, I think Coastal might have the weakest regional because again, I don't think Coastal should have hosted, even though their RPI says they should. I guess resume wise, I think Coastal should have hosted. I test wise, think I don't. about it. A Sun Belt team. Got seeded four spots ahead of its RPI, and again, I, I during the season when we had conversations with different people, I try to say the Sun Belt in baseball is different than the other sports. It's not like basketball. 
It's not even like softball. Like, it's res- it's a respected baseball league. It's not like the other sports where, you know, oh, it's the Sun Belt. Well, you know, who cares if you win that? Then You, you know, it's not like that. I mean, it's not a shock that they got four teams in. Now, it wasn't a guarantee either. I get that. But it's not a shock. I mean, it's a respected baseball league. I mean, just think about that. It's like, it's kind of like I often think about, think about this. The UL women's basketball program, and I think, what was it, 0405, got an at-large bid into the NCAA tournament. I still can't get, when I say that, it's still hard for me to believe it. And think about, the, I, I Sunbelt team just got seeded four spots ahead of its RPI in the seat. I, I mean, that kind of, that's just shocking to me. And But it's great. I mean, it's great for the league and where it is and, you know, about three or four series into the conference, it wasn't looking great RPI-wise. You know, last year they had Georgia Southern was like an eight RPI or whatever it was at the very end. And some other um, Texas State had a really high RPI. But down the stretch, it got a lot better. And I think we also learned how much your RPI can can change. I think some people just assumed that when the Cajuns were at 66, 67, that they could not get there. But, and look, I didn't think they'd get there, especially with all these pitching problems. And then more than that, not only did they get there, pitching ended up winning the conference tournament for them. It's just insanity. And I'll just say, that's baseball. We'll take a timeout, come back, shift gears, Talk Cajun softball with Bobby Nova next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us our friend, Mr. Bobby Nuvo. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm sure you made it back safely and everything's okay. Everything's fine, man. Just uh, a little transition period, you know? So um, was anything on the trip, was everything, I, I'm not talking about the actual play on the field, did everything go well on the trip, anything unexpected or surprising or shocking or how, how did the trip go overall everything went really smooth and uh you know ashley paulie our director uh you know, chief of staff does a wonderful job of uh making sure everybody gets needs to uh, you know gets where they need to be and everything went smooth kevin uh couldn't have couldn't have been better all right so I don't. You might know. I don't know if you were listening. Had a chance to listen earlier. I, I'd have to go back and look. But I. I know everybody's upset that the Cajuns didn't get any hit, didn't score any runs. You know, I, I get that. But did they have a situation that you? Did they ever have a runner on third and less than two outs that they didn't drive in, or did they just never get a two out hit with a runner in scoring position? That, that was part of it, Kevin. But you know, in, in game one, in the uh, the top of the first inning, we had runners in scoring position and. 
Paulie Heath hit a shot, and you know Kling was the second baseman, made a a, a a heck of a play right there, and uh, you know she doesn't make that play. The Cajuns go up two to nothing in the top of the first inning. You know could have been a different ball game, and then in the uh, you know in the top of the seventh, she hits the ball in the left fielder catches it with her back against the wall with the bases loaded. You know, that's six runs right there that Carly could have uh, almost drove in, in just uh, didn't you know, quite happen. Two, right. three difference. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that was, you know, that was some big spots in the first game. And then in game two, you know, uh, you know, you leave runners. I think we left eight runners on base in both games. So, you know, it's kind of the story of, uh, you know, why you don't score any runs and, um, you know, hit a lot of balls well in the second game, just right at him, and just one of those things, you know. How much the fact that the number two pitcher was left-handed? Do you think that gave the because some of the Cage's best hitters are obviously left-handed? Maya's left-handed, Lauren's left-handed, Carly's left-handed. Do you think that made a big deal or no? I think so. You know, after facing. Uh, Ruby Malin in, in, in game one, you know, the right hand who threw in the upper 60s and had a really, really good school ball. And then they just gave the Cajuns a really different look in game two with the left-hander. Didn't throw as hard, had a really good curveball, a really good changeup. And, uh, you know, to the right-handed hitter, she had a really good backdoor curveball that, you know, she was able to uh, to live on the outside part of the plate and, it kind of gave the Cajun left right-handed hitters some some problems too. So um, you know the fact that they had those the right-handed and then the left-hander, uh, two completely different type of pitchers, you know, it, it made it difficult for the Cajuns to make adjustments now, from one game to the other. Now, like you already said, though, it wasn't like they got totally shut down. They had base runners fairly often throughout both games. It, it, it's just the the old what is your batting average runner and scoring position thing is just such a huge thing in baseball and softball. And, uh, you know, they just could never get that hit. I mean, I guess if you went back and analyzed it, I mean, I guess at some point you have to give their pitching some credit for how they pitch in those situations. Or do you think it was more just they couldn't get one to fall? Well, I think it was kind of both, Kevin, you know, uh, after after Malin got past that first inning, we kind of had her on the ropes a little bit there in game one in the first inning. And then once she got past that first inning and got comfortable, you know, in the circle and got that screwball working, it made it, things a lot more difficult for the Cajun left-handed hitters. And, um, you know, so, yeah, you got to give their pitchers credit. I mean, they, they've got good pitchers. They, they're going to the World Series out of a really tough conference. And, you know, there's three teams in the Pac-12 going to the World Series. So, um, you know, they pitched well, and they played really, really good defense, Kevin. Not, you know, probably the best defensive team I saw all season long. Their fielding percentage is 982, and it's not a, you know, there's not a mistake there. They they made a lot of, you know, they made all the all the routine plays, and then they made plays that you, you don't see a lot of teams make. So that made it even more difficult for the Cajuns offense, you know, uh, some of the plays they were able to make on defense. Do you think in game one, when Coach Glasgow put Chloe Riaceto in, he was saying, well, Chloe at times pitches well, and I know Washington, 
hits well against left-handers. Was that, do you think he was just playing, okay, let's just hope Chloe pitches well, which she does a lot of the times we bring her in. But if not, we're going to say more pitching for the rest of the series. Was that a series decision? I, I, I think it was, you know, a little bit of both. I'm sure they were thinking about how well she pitched in the uh, Baton Rouge Regional. But uh, on the other hand, Washington only had three left-handed hitters in their lineup as opposed to LSU having eight. And, and you know, Chloe's really, really effective against uh, against left-handed hitters. And uh, I'm sure, you know, that's something they're going to work on in the offseason, maybe, you know, to add a pitch. That, that'll help her uh, to be more effective against right-handers. But, uh, you know, Chloe didn't pitch. She didn't pitch poorly. Uh, the game just kind of got away from the Cajuns there in the fourth and the fifth inning in the first game. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to Chloe having a, a great career as a Raging Cajun because she's only going to continue to get better. The other thing that happened that you just don't know. I mean, it's part of what makes it's part of right. the you just don't know charm or whatever in the in a in, in baseball and softball and these regionals and conference tournaments is their catcher had one home run all season. Their young catcher and she had a huge home run in that first game. That was really the momentum turn. Yeah, uh, you know, a young Kevin, catcher hitting her second home run of the season. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, finish up. I'm sorry. No, I'm saying that was really the momentum turner, I thought. It was. And, uh, you know, as I was preparing to, you know, for the broadcast, and I just kept looking at their top three hitters. And, 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 and in my mind, I was like, you know, if we can keep their top three hitters in the ballpark, you know, I think that's going to give us a better chance. And then in game one, they score eight runs. Seven of those eight runs were scored by uh, the six through nine hitters. The, the six through nine hitters are the hitters that really hurt the Cajuns in game one. And uh, so you just, you know, you never know. Sometimes the game gets you, and I think that's what happened, especially in game one, you know. we we uh, I mentioned it when we had Yvette Gerard on last week, and we have a, a mutual friend who firmly believes that if you go two time zones, two time zones over means L. Do, do you think that? <laughs> Um, had anything to do with it, or was it just softball? Well, I can tell you, I can only tell you how I felt for a couple of days, you know. So it's not easy to, to make that trip, and, um, you know, it could have had uh, an effect on the way the kids played, and, that's, you know, it's hard for me to answer. But obviously, uh, you know, if you look at you look at numbers and you look at history, it's it's always difficult to, to to go over to the West Coast and, and be successful. You know, we, in in 2012, in 2010, the Cajuns went to UCLA and uh, went 0 and 2, and then in 2012 went to Arizona State and went 1 and 2, and then and then this year 0 and 2. So it uh, obviously could have something to do with it. You know. The Red Sox could can just tell you they just finished their West Coast trip. They didn't have much fun over there, and they didn't wow. hit very much either. So, and the Braves last yeah. night went to Oakland, and, and it didn't go very well for them. Well, and my team my team started a a, a series in Seattle last night, but uh, Call, good, put up so. ten runs. Yeah, so that's not good. You know, that's not good for tonight. <laughs> well, we'll see. Ten, ten's you know? right on the borderline. We lost Harrison Data. He got hurt again. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, he had a hamstring. He had to pull him out of the game. 
No doubt. He's uh, a guy. He's. I mean, he's my favorite player, but he's always hurt. It's unbelievable. It seemed like it seemed like the teams we pulled for Bobby were always saying that he's always yeah. hurt. Yeah. Unbelievable. We just don't follow, and, and everybody's got that issue. I'm sure, but we just don't follow the other teams as closely. So that that is true. Well, Bob, we appreciate your time all year. Thank you very much, and um, we'll see what happens next year. All right, we'll talk soon, man. Take care. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote is a walking, talking encyclopedia of New Orleans Saints history. No. Seriously. After that is 2013, which I call the Forgotten Saints season because in so many people's mind, the Saints' streak of good football ended with the Bounty Gate season. And it's not just recent history either. In 88, they finished 10 and 6, tied for first place in the division, did not make the playoff because they got cheated by a blind official named Fred Silver who absolutely cheated, uh, stole a game on Sunday night in a 13 to 12 loss to the Giants with his either blindness and ebbness or cheating or whatever you want to call it. I think he was just blind and senile. We return to the man who's forgotten more Saints history than you will ever know. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. All right. I feel really good about what I'm about to tell you on one hand and really bad on the other hand. I did something yesterday, haven't done since a year or two before COVID. I don't even remember the last time. Um, We used to do this fairly often, and since COVID, it just hadn't happened um, for whatever, for all kinds of different reasons. But played softball, a family softball game, and I found out very vividly when you get fatter and older, it changes. Like, I I did get three hits, so that I should have. Obviously, you should get go five for five in a softball game, but I went three for five and popped up twice, which is awful. But not as bad as the fielding. Like, I don't think I made one play yesterday. Like, it's like I should be able to field the ball. I used to be able to field the ball. Yesterday, could not field any ball. That's the bad part. And the team I was on got crushed. We got crushed 19 to 9. Not good. Bad 600, though. We pop- Yeah. But I did get three hits. Yeah. Two of them were line drives, and one of them was just kind of a soft liner that I put in a good spot. But the other ones, I tried to crush it, and I popped up. Digging for two on any, diving in oh, head first no. in the second. I scored base. two runs. <laughs> but again, you don't. I mean, it's amazing how slow I am. I mean, it, it real like it's amazing how fast I walk for a fat, unathletic guy. But it's amazing how slow I run for a fat, unathletic guy. But the good part of all of this is I expected to wake up today and just be so sore because again, I don't ever do any. I don't ever exercise. Okay, like people say, well, um, <laughs> are you in shape? Well, I mean, again, I, I, I'm never, I've never been in shape, you know, <laughs> and so it's just like I don't even know what that means. So, I, I expected 
Because not only do we like play seven innings of softball, but we do this deal where you like like a home run hit con. Everybody tries to hit it home runs and stuff, you know. And you know, it is what it is. So I was doing things and throwing balls and all that that I don't ever do ever. <laughs> and so, but I woke up and I feel good. I, I'm shocked. I, so my fielding was atrocious. <laughs> my hitting was okay. But I actually feel good the day after when I thought I was going to feel terrible. So that's, so that's a, a good thing. Well, where, where were you playing in the field? Well, I know it's not always defined we started, positions. I, I, I like to play first base because I don't have to run. Yeah. And then I started out at like shortstop, but they're like, you can't feel okay. the ball, idiot. Get in the outfield. But it's one of those things when a real good hitter comes up, even when I was in shortstop, I'd go run out to center field. To try to, you know, see, hopefully I could catch a fly ball. Um, but actually, my younger nephew was just running around doing all the running and catching the, the fly yeah. balls. Uh, so I played some outfield and some, you know, third and some second. But again, it's like I used to be able to bend down. I guess my belly's too big. Like, I don't know what the <laughs> well, problem is. When they hit is. it to you, you're supposed to catch the ball, remember? I mean, that's the whole idea. Especially if you're in the major leagues, maybe yes. not as much if you're playing softball. But you know, I'm thinking we were joking yesterday because all of most of us did like not as good as we thought we were going to do. And we haven't done this in probably four, four or five years or whatever. And I'm like, you know, guys who play baseball are like they practice for a long time, and then we expect to just go out there after right. not throwing a ball for five years and just pick up where we left off, even though we're fatter and older. That's how I well with golf when I go months without playing, and then I'm mad when I play poorly, and then it's like, well, you haven't played in months, so and you already sucked before. Before you started, so I couldn't you're not believe be how good. I couldn't believe how I could not feel the ball. <laughs> now, I'm, like one a time, I may I still got an out, but it's like ricocheting off my leg and picking <laughs> the ball up. Like it's not supposed to be that difficult. No, it's not. How could you get that bad? That <laughs> I don't know. Oh. I'd have felt better if I'd have went five for five though instead of. Well, yeah, and I I'd guess. have felt better if the Astros would have won. But could, yeah. they blew a save in the ninth. Yeah, Altuve but did I felt his best. way better when the Celtics lost, so it made it feel well. Like, and know. I thought of you. I thought of Mesh and you. Um, so you know, two ends of the spectrum there. Two, you know, the highs and the lows. But Altuve's hitting. Uh, he's not doing his normal slow start. So how about that? Altuve had a grand slam to take the lead. I mean, a big spot too. Man, this cat Noda for the A's. The Astros couldn't get him out over the weekend, and the Braves certainly didn't get him out yesterday. Of course, the Astros got the win, so I was thankful. That was, those are great victories. Don't underrate how great those victories are. Just ask the Braves. Y'all have a nice day.